Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Boel, and today we will be pulling back Hollywood's crypt to review John Waters' Crybaby. Which, if you don't count Yellow Submarine, and I don't, I don't is our first that. musical. Yeah. Yay! And that is uh, insanely appropriate. <laughs> Why is it insanely appropriate, Andy? Oh, because John Waters, and that's not the first, second, or third time we're going to say that this episode. <laughs> when we might have already told this story, but when we were considering the podcast, you were really excited to introduce me to John Waters, and I was like, who? Oh, oh, so many years ago, Stephanie, how innocent you were. <laughs> God, has it been years at this point? That makes me delighted. Um, yeah, me too. No, and like John Waters just is. There's, there's nothing like him. There's, there's nothing yeah. like him. And even Crybaby, which is zany and wacky and and charming and wonderful, like it, it feels different from anything else except kind of Cecil B. Demented. Um, but even then, like, like there's still depths of this man's depravity. We're still kind of going through his works backwards and, and getting a little less safe every time we do so. Really? Um, you think so? Because this feels more safe than Cecil B. Demented. There wasn't a hamster going up someone's ass. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's very fair. (laughs) Um... There, there is, there is darker shit for John Waters that we still oh. haven't come across. Is all I mean. Ah, uh, I'm excited. Question maybe? maybe bees. Bees, exactly. Um, but no, you you bring up a good point. This this is actually kind. This is safer than Cecil be demented for sure. You don't have um, a group of theater film terrorists uh, moaning in ecstasy at each other and having an orgy in a drive-through. We're, we we don't have anything quite like that. Though the DNA of that sentence is still in Crybaby. I think. <laughs> Right, we have a gang that's very similar to the Sprockets, but we are getting far ahead of ourselves. Andy, what is this movie about? Right, right. So Crybaby is the story of Wade Crybaby Walker, a juvenile delinquent, and Allison Vernon Williams, the straight-laced good girl that is in love with him. Crybaby and Allison begin a tangled romance before he is thrown into prison, all the while licking each other's tears and singing their way through the wacky and wonderful world of John Waters. And how. And how. And, and you know, you were telling me before, you, you liked this more than Cecil B. Demented. I did. I think it's maybe that it was so familiar because it seemed like variations on a theme of like a good family classic musical, except then it scratched the surface, went a little deeper, talked about race, talked about feminism and all muddled it into the weirdness that is John Waters. 
and fair. And and yeah, I mean, I, I definitely put this above Cecil B. Demented. I, I still, I didn't hate that movie, but I think I would watch Crybaby before I watched it again. And it all boils down to like, we, we keep comparing this to Grease. And this yeah. is very much like a dirtier, weirder Grease. Mm-hmm. Complete with blonde, beautiful ingenue, complete with uh, dark and troubled man. But the thing that makes it a little bit different is that the emotional uh, truth runs a little bit deeper for me. So one of the things that I noticed is, you know, like in Greece, you have the gang and the squares, and then you have Sandy who is going through her whole, oh my gosh, I have a crush on this boy. But we only see Sandy kind of rebelling and going outside of her comfort zone in the last 10 minutes of the movie. Whereas, like, here we have this whole plot point of... I just forgot her name. Sorry. Um, We have this whole plot point of Allison, yes, rejecting her culture. She says in the first 10 minutes of the movie, I'm so tired of being good. And kind of coming out of her life could be a dream, white wrist length gloves, pearls into the world of the Ricketts, which is a little more colorful, a little more exciting and a lot more fun. Yeah, you know, this so it it was so interesting to me, having never seen this before, it really just kind of gets all of that out of the way, maybe to avoid comparisons that this is just like a parody of Greece. But you're Mm -hmm. right, Allison very clearly knows what she wants. And none of the conflict in this movie comes from will they won't they get together between Allison and Crybaby. It all comes from like actual conflict and fist fights and people being thrown in jail and people lying about being the, the mother of Crybaby's child. Like there's, there's so much that waters had to say and so much that he's, you know, poking fun of, you know, this, this was supposed to be kind of like a, a mockery of Greece, but also a mockery of like, you know, old Elvis Presley movies, Uh, Johnny Depp took this part because he was still baby Johnny Depp who had only been in Nightmare on Elm Street and 21 Jump Street and like was this, you know, teen heartthrob of the moment and didn't want to be that. So much to the point that he was like, you know, going and starring in Platoon as a soldier and, and reading the weirdest script he could find, something that is making fun of the type of actor he was at that point and going, yeah, yeah, this is weird as hell. I'll totally do it. (laughs) Which I can't blame him for because at this stage, like, yeah, sure, I've had tiny crushes on Johnny Depp because I was 13 when Pirates came out. Sure, fine. But when I saw him smile in the first 10 minutes of this, I was like, oh, I get I get it. I understand the Johnny Depp heartthrob thing. So I think this was a very appropriate you role see, for him to take. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is, he is sizzling. You see him smile. You see him light a match off his teeth and then eat it. Like, oh, Which is so okay. weird. <laughs> but then, so weird, but so like Yeah, and then he rebels and... against it by later he rips open his shirt and he has a tattoo of an electric chair on his chest, 
which is the most bizarre memento mori I've ever seen in a movie. So he's yeah. very much yeah, not we'll, uh, the typical we'll, dreamboat. No, and that's where like, so like the first 10 minutes of this movie, you could be forgiven for thinking that all of the weird watersness went into the character of Hatchet Face and nowhere else because that, that's what I was thinking. I was sitting to me and right. like, okay, okay, he just made Hairspray, which was his PG like, like total commercial hit. They gave him the most money to make Crybaby he ever had. I, okay, okay, I get it. He's he's gonna play it safe for a couple movies, and and that uh, assertion was dead wrong, <laughs> because of a lot of the stuff that he makes Johnny Depp and Amy Locaine and you know Kim McGuire and Tracy Lords and Ricky Lake. All these people do. Uh, speaking of returning to cult fiction, we had Ricky Lake, Patricia Hearst. And Joe D'Alessandro. Marxist Manservant Mario. I gotta tell you, I was incredibly... Marxist Manservant Mario uh, escaped Andy Warhol's basement and was allowed to put on clothes for uh, for John Waters. (laughs) (laughs) I was so shocked to see him there. Um, Because, you know, Patricia Hearst, Ricky Lake, they're like some of Waters' major players, as well as, for the first time in cult fiction, our first triple um, repeat, Mink Stoll, who played Hatchet Face's mom stuck in the iron lung. Oh, that's where she was. Yeah, yeah, she was she was Hatchet Face's mom, and Patricia Hearst was Wanda's mom, who... Uh, not to spoil, my Oscar has one of the best line deliveries I've ever heard. Um, but yeah, so this is littered with like Waters's key players, but then also, you know, it has Johnny Depp, who is by mm-hmm. a league the biggest actor Waters would ever work with when, in his career. It had Amy Locken, who was such a beautiful, sweet, brilliant ingenue that you and me were both sitting here being like, where is this chick's career? Where do I know her from? And the answer is nowhere. The answer is apparently the wanted posters because she got into a car accident and killed a person. Well, Womp. yes, Womp. yes. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Which I'm being a very, <laughs> I, I mean, it, that's, that answers what happened. I mean, she she had retired acting before then, but... It certainly didn't help her acting career when she had to go to prison for vehicular manslaughter. Womp, womp. (laughs) I'm so tired of being good. All of the women in this um, film are a varying degree between adorable and sexy and at the same time totally badass. They're allowed to be complicated and weird. They are. They absolutely are. And they're allowed to own it. And, you know, I, it was 1990. I'm not sure how much of it was supposed to be a joke from John Waters and how much of it was supposed to be like forward thinking, progressive casting. But there's so much about his female characters that I just totally love. And, and no matter what the intention was in retrospect, it's become this really great thing. You can point at waters movies and go look at all this amazing representation. Look at this character, uh, pepper played by Ricky Lake, who is a three time teenage mother 
and it's never like ostracized. It's never made fun of even by other characters in the film. It's never that much of a thing. It only becomes like a plot point so that her kids being taken away can provide stakes. Yeah. Look at Wanda played by friggin' Tracy Lords, um, who I didn't know what she was famous for before this movie. Um, and it's not vehicular manslaughter. It's not vehicular manslaughter, but it is still arguably a crime. Um, but no, uh, Wanda, like I had such a crush on her from the word go, which I think was kind of the point, but like, I also had a crush on Allison and it was for completely different reasons. You know, I, I liked Allison cause she was this sweet, beautiful ingenue. And I liked Wanda because she was this like incredibly badass, sexy, like chick who might pull a knife on me, but I'm not going to be mad about it. And then the piece de resistance, the person who I was sitting here figuring was like the culmination of the water's energy being hatchet face. But even hatchet face isn't a joke. Yeah, she's allowed to be unconventionally pretty. She is allowed to be unconventionally sized. And she still has a boyfriend who not only is thinner than her, which is a big deal, but she also has a boyfriend who considers her beautiful, who seeks her out. And I'm pretty sure Hatchet Face gets the most ass out of anyone in the whole cast. Hatchet Face absolutely gets the most ass out of anyone in Crybaby. And, <laughs> and I look at it as a positive because it's this, you know, she is a Kim McGuire. The actress is a incredibly unique looking actress. And it would have been very easily, especially from Trash King John Waters, to do something that in hindsight was horribly offensive and horribly just mean to this person. And it's like, welcome to Hollywood, you're making a paycheck, kid. But no, this character is confident is in herself, in her sexuality, and the fact that she is constantly making out with her boyfriend, Milton, like, it works. And it makes her an actual character. Yeah. And one of the smallest moments, it's like, blink and you'll miss it, but Milton calls her beautiful at one point. He's like, hey, come here, beautiful, yeah. or hey, come here, gorgeous. And it's like, oh, that was very much on purpose. It wasn't It wasn't a small, tiny moment. It was on purpose. I love that. And I love, too, that all of these women, on top of the fact that they absolutely look like they could hurt you, they're really sweet, and they're kind, and they're supportive. So... Um, Pepper, the woman who's a three-time mother, is additionally a kind, sweet little bean who is so supportive of her brother before any of her brother's other friends except Allison. Pepper is right there saying, no, she's a square and a drape. And I think she's really pretty and I think she'll fit in. Like Pepper opens the door for Allison to come in and be welcomed. And later when Allison comes in, um, to the jukebox jamboree, it's Pepper who says, okay, girls, what do we think? Let's make her over. And then kind of makes Allison and Hatchet Face welcome her in. And they do with open arms. And they're like, okay, you're one of us now. Let's give you a makeover. And they give her a makeover and she ends up looking like June Cash, which is the cutest thing on the planet. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 
No, I really loved that moment. Um, I was sitting here being like, oh shit, okay, here's where we're going to get the somewhat cliched, you're the outsider conflict. And and to just completely sidestep that, I really appreciated that. I also loved that scene because there's a moment where the three drape women like grab their breasts and talk about how our boobs are weapons and we can get anything we want with them. And I was sitting here like, hmm. Okay, yeah, there he is. There's there's the same guy who wrote the horny, insane sprockets ten years later. <laughs> yeah, the rickets and the sprockets, it's not at all weird that their names sound familiar. No, not at all. I mean, hey, variations on a theme. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I like about the rickets is that they are a matriarchal society. Um, they, they are, are overseeing... They are overseen by Ramona Ricketts, who is a baby doll meth head, um, and I love her. But she's she's Crybaby's grandmother, and she holds this crew together with Spitfire and brass tacks, and she's lovely. She is, and, and you know, I didn't even think about this until just now, but she is that that person very much like Larry and Lloyd from, but I'm a cheerleader. She is that character Mm. who is like, Hey, no, I accept you for how friggin' awesome you are. Even if your parents don't because nobody in the drapes has a good family life and gets along with their parents at all. But, but they have Ramona being insane grandma. Yeah. And she's totally fine with it. She's like, all right, kids, here's my lawn. Spread out your blankets. Make out. Do your thing. It's fine. My husband, Iggy Pop, is bathing in a galvanized tub. It is okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Iggy Pop, who I read was just a consummate professional and, like, of course, had, had just gotten sober and wanted to be an actor and wanted to be in a movie and was like, he, he set the tone on set. Meanwhile, Susan Tyrell, who is the woman who plays Ramona Ricketts, was drunk every day and at one point uh, told John Waters her mom had died to get out of acting with a hangover. <laughs> So, I love that. <gasps> oh my god! Oh, that's hilarious. But the characters and the the scenes they live in are so colorful. Between the square, between the drapes, and then you have the squares who are like stepping out of a Norman Rockwell wet dream. It's such a lovely juxtaposition. <clears throat> What, Norman Rockwell wet dream? Is it that, is. Is that too much? <laughs> no, no, that was great. <laughs> I appreciated that. <laughs> no, and it, and, it, and it does. And so I want to kind of lead into, like, John Waters was trying to say something about class. And, and bless you. <laughs> and damn if I know what. <laughs> Who? This Who's is to a, say? Who's to say, um, hey, hey, Stephanie, why do our characters, why do our heroes um, sing and dance in front of a giant Confederate flag in a movie canonically set in Baltimore, which was not a part of the Confederacy? Because it's John Waters. You're learning. Exactly. 
Now, this is the weirdest part to me. And it's, it's so much weirder because I cannot find anything about it. I cannot find a quote from Waters about, yeah, I was trying to show that like, even our heroes can be flawed and, and messed up people or, oh, you know, Baltimore in the 50s was racist as hell and, and I wanted to represent that. I have no idea why all the Confederate flag imagery is there. I have no idea why, why um, a literal truckload of African-American men are are led away in like this weird makeshift prison truck all wearing uh confederate flag bandanas you got me because it's john waters is all i can say to that yep i look too and i've got nothing so i'm gonna say maybe it was john waters's commentary that just because it's the north doesn't mean it's not racist um but that is absolutely me projecting onto the film. And, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of the only thing that makes any sense because Maryland was, and, and I only know this cause I had to look it up, but like Maryland was the southernmost union state. So like, that's why I'm sitting here being like, if you had just been like, Oh yeah, that's if John Waters had just been like, Oh yeah, that's what the watering hole had when I was a kid. Then it's like, okay, makes sense. But Without that, it is just something that I'm like, I'm questioning in a bad way, in a way that's not like, oh, why are the characters licking their tears off of each other? That, that is just a, okay, John Waters. That was cute. Yeah. Cute. Is that the word we're using for it? Uh, I got to confess that scene (laughs) was hot. It's just that you're so beautiful i want to let you but i can't for my parents sake cry baby they're both dead i'm an orphan oh yeah i i think so so yeah like like i was saying before you know we don't have a a drive-in movie theater orgy in this in crybaby but we do have like hey everybody let's all make out at the watering hole and especially Johnny Depp and Amy Lockins scene together where he's teaching her character how to French kiss. I was here for it. And, and, you know, we've seen bare breasts. We've seen sex scenes. And I still put it to you that watching those two teenage heartthrobs make out in the opening moments was maybe the hottest thing we've seen on cult fiction. Now I say so... that, I, I, I say that and I preface the first couple moments because anybody who's seen the movie will p- finish this with me. It devolves into pure absurdist comedy. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I guess watching them kiss was hot until Crybaby is practically fingering Allison and she goes, I can't. I'm an orphan. And Crybaby replies, I'm an orphan too, and orphans, we have special needs. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> yes, and, and I, I will agree, and I will make my point clear. Around that time, I'm like, oh, oh okay, all right. Yeah, this is how I should expect a John Waters, like, 
romance scene to go weird proclamations of backstory in the middle of making out <laughs> followed by um you know that iconic moment where uh, johnny depp starts screaming about how much he hates electricity because it killed his daddy and sh- and rips his open daddy. his shirt for that tattoo <laughs> well you know andy electricity makes him crazy that's exactly how he says it that is exactly how he says it. And that's the part where it's like, okay, I, I see why you uh, why you took this part as something that was supposed to break your image as a teen heartthrob. Well, so that was when your boner died after they were done French kissing? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, even even before then, like, okay. So so they start kissing and, and it's it's very hot. I I'm not going to characterize it any other way and then we get the montage of all of the characters just bizarrely making out even um crybaby and allison just like practically licking each other's chins and i was like okay all right all right that that, that's fair (laughs) um but the way the way that we get from point a to point b to point C, Johnny Depp screaming at the sky. To point D, just this incredibly absurd fist fight. I gotta say, I I pointed all that as a mark of quality. How just it does this wild left turn into wacky, absurd, what the hell is happening humor. With one of the funniest like fight scenes I've ever seen. I was laughing as people were just punching each other crazily and flopping on the ground. I I seriously put to you that that is a a mark of quality on Waters's part to be able to get us from <laughs> the beginning of that sequence to the ending. Yeah, and another there's, great there's... Iggy Pop moment is that uh, Iggy Pop takes one of the squares and noogies him directly in the head, which is just a supreme mark on how ridiculous this fight scene is. You think that guy went home and, and like told his girlfriend, yeah, uh, fun, fun day. I had Iggy pop, like give me a noogie. And that's what we did for five hours. (laughs) God, I hope so. I hope there was outtakes of other random stuff that Iggy pop was doing to other people. Like, Oh, hey, babe, guess what? Today, Iggy Pop need me in the balls. It was great! <laughs> I mean, it, the man was a consummate professional on set. I'm sure if John Waters told him, okay, you're going to need this kid in the balls, the guy, he, Iggy Pop would turn to him and go, hey, sorry, bud. <laughs> Let's work on the stage combat. Sorry, got to do it. <laughs> I want to be an actor. Yeah, <sighs> fair enough. <laughs> And so, like, so, so we get the squares who burn up Crybaby's bike. Crybaby's bike that had been given to him that very day by his grandparents. By his grandparents. Who barely had two coins to rub together. Who barely had two coins to rub together. We, We get from that to the jail and. I don't want to say that that's around the point where the movie really started to lose me, but everything after Johnny Depp goes to jail, everything after the delightful Willem Dafoe cameo, um, where he is the, (laughs) the 
creepy as fuck and only a way Willem Dafoe can be a jailer. Uh, everything after mm-hmm. that started kind of losing me. Yeah, that's when we get the like weird plot points of Lenora, the girl who's really into Crybaby, faking a pregnancy. Um, which, okay, like having some vague female competition, I guess, sure, fine, whatever. But having it be like a faked pregnancy that is very obviously fake, then culminating in this woman just forgetting all sense and logic and her pulling a baby doll out from under her dress when she hasn't been showing it all days after she announced that she was pregnant when she hasn't been showing it all. And she's like, I had my baby. That whole plot point was just, why is this here? Yeah, and and her whole character, like, I really had no clue what to make of Lenora. You know, you first see her and she's taping Crybaby's initials onto her thigh, which, I mean, first of all, that's cool. I didn't know that was a thing that you could do as, like, a a way of showing your affection. Um, But we go from from that... And her, him clearly not being interested. They do a good job of showing that, like, she's going to be this jealous, romantic rival. But it doesn't really serve anything. Like, like yeah, she, she has the moment where she just proclaims, I have Crybaby's love child. And Allison instantly believes her. And that, that drives the plot along a little bit. But I feel like you could have gotten away from all of that, written out that character entirely, and and it still could have worked. So yeah, because with that it becomes this whole like let's pit women against women in a movie that so far has done such a great job of being like no women support other women. We have this matriarchal society, right. and now all of a sudden it's like. Oh, this again. Cool. <laughs> you you hit the nail on the head, I think. That really is why that rubs so wrong. Just because it's like, it, it, it drives what could have been your point back. And then yeah. to boot, it's not even like necessarily handled in a good way. It, it would have made more sense if like Wanda had like done some sort of romantic betrayal and, and she had feelings for Crybaby and, and she like made it seem like they'd been together forever. I, I don't know. Oh, Crybaby, you scorched me. Yeah, it's, it's just weirdly handled. Another thing that's weirdly handled, um, and maybe this is, this is how this didn't age well. One, two, three. But there is exactly one character a person of color in this movie with lines. And that is, help me here. So the character name is Dupree. Um, Okay. And I don't quite know the actor's name, but it was weird. This is the only movie that dude ever made. Fair. Maybe he just is a big John Waters fan. Not sure. But the point being Dupree um, goes to jail or is in jail with Crybaby 
and helps Crybaby escape, but then doesn't try and escape himself. And the feeling it kind of gave me and rubbing me the wrong way was that it was like making the commentary, oh, but I'm supposed to stay here. So I'm not going to escape with you. I know I'm supposed to be here. So I'm not even going to try. Which just given, you know, the overly not proportionate rate at which men of color are imprisoned. Like just, it did not feel right to me. Right. And and I can't help but wonder if that was supposed to be another, like another bit of whatever the cultural commentary that John Waters was trying to make. If that was another instance of that, it, it reminded me of the scene in down by law where you get to a prison and it is disproportionately filled with you know, black men. Um, yeah. But yeah, the fact that it doesn't land though, if the fact that it doesn't land really just is, is to the detriment of the film. I really, <laughs> at this point kind of have to wonder about waters and endings because you and I, okay. you and I argued about our differing opinions on our interpretations of the Cecil B demented ending. Where, where you really mm-hmm. enjoyed it, but I, I thought it, it got very muddy. And and the same thing now with Crybaby. It gets very muddy. It starts going kind of downhill after that funny courtroom scene where you have everybody's parents. It keeps going downhill the entire time that Crybaby's in jail. And... By the time he's out of jail, aside from the please Mr. Jailer scene, which is just an awesome spectacle, I'm really at this point sitting here being like, okay, no, but like, what is happening? I I don't understand. Allison's aunt was like against everybody or at least against Crybaby. And then she kind of just switches sides for no real reason that I can tell what's happening there. Um, okay. Right. Cause so we haven't even really, we haven't even really talked about her, but Allison's grandmother who adopted Allison after uh, Allison's parents death, much in the same way that Ramona adopted Crybaby and pepper um, suddenly becomes very, oh, honey, you do what you want after being extremely upset and making a giant speech about how the drapes are ruining uh, society as we know it. Right. And it just seems like, where is this change coming from? It's very unearned. It really is to the point where, like, I don't know if it got left on the editing room floor or what. Like, like I said before, this movie was directly after Hairspray and the only thing I can think is Waters was thinking of the character in Hairspray um, who is like the evil upper class matriarch and didn't want to do the same thing twice in a row. But like we needed we needed that line. We needed that that clarification of of why the only thing we got is the moment where pepper's kids are thrown into the foster system. Like we get a cutaway to Allison's aunt and she looks very distressed. And that, I guess that's supposed to be the impetus of like, 
well, well, hold on. I didn't like them, but I didn't want to like tear a family apart. But even then, next thing yeah. you know, we're we're in a, a, an insane orphanage where kids are uh, put up like zoo animals, <laughs> which is my favorite. <laughs> I loved scene. that part. I I absolutely loved that, and I thought that was an inspired bit of comedy. The the shift floor orphanage where it's like, oh, this one knows how to vacuum. Oh, this one's potty trained. Oh, you don't want them. They're biters. Um, and of course, locking the evil orphanage lady up in there. I, I was very much here for that, but you know, we go, we go from that to please Mr. Jailer to all of a sudden we're playing chicken on cars. And <laughs> don't forget, don't forget, there is a really random scene at like a Renaissance. Oh, right, the, the theme park. Right, the themed... theme park. Yeah, yeah, yeah amusement park which is out of that part i actually kind of think it's probably just waters like he was making fun of what a big deal even a low rent shitty ass theme park might have been to sticks baltimore at the time um but yeah it it is very weird and like there's a moment there where um, ramona ricketts the grandma puts this like skull and crossbones brooch on Allison's aunt. And that was, I was sitting there being like, okay, wait, is this thing like friggin' cursed? Cause I'd believe that in a waters movie, but why is she acting different all of a sudden? Maybe. And then also before that even scene, there's a random thing where Wanda's parents are going to send her to Sweden. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, I want desperately the sequel to this movie, which is about Wanda in Sweden. (laughs) All of this to say, though, that the last half hour is just scene after scene of what the actual Right, and we liked this, but, like, that doesn't excuse that it, it just gets really random. You know what it felt like to me, actually? It felt like one of those dreams... Where in the dream, you're aware, you're like, wow, this dream is going on like a really long time and stuff keeps happening that doesn't make sense. And you like wake up and you try to describe it to your partner or a coworker later that day. You're like, and then suddenly we were here and then for some reason you were there and we were doing this. Like, that's what the last half hour. I'm here for that. I I totally agree. And... (laughs) Because John Waters, I, I guess, like this. Because John this Waters, this is the biggest budget he had had to work with at the time. This was like his seventh or eighth actual movie, so I can't quite pin on on what this issue might have spawned from. It wasn't a we ran out of money thing, and it wasn't a inexperienced director thing. So I. I just really don't know. It's better than Greece, better and, and I wonder Greece. how much of that is just we both hate Greece. But even if that is the case, I, I would watch <laughs> this a hundred times out of a hundred before I watch Greece again. <laughs> um, I do love how Waters followed Hairspray with this because it's almost like he's saying he believes that young women should be allowed to explore 
their own sexuality and be their own fascinating concept big if true just (laughs) well it's just like hairspray is all about this young woman being like no i want to dance to rock and roll and then this movie is all about a young woman being like yeah no i want to dance to bluegrass yeah and and more than that this movie is filled with women (laughs) who are just like yeah I own my sexuality. I own my badassery. I literally do not need a man, but I'm going to keep this one on my arm and make out with him. Like, like Crybaby is this great character, but then beyond Crybaby, like this is a movie for the female characters to come out and be awesome and badass and have us get crushes yeah. on them. But they're like respectful crushes where it's like, okay, if you, if you look at me wrong, I'll, I'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a creep. If you look at me wrong, I'll go yeah, away. Amen. The Andy Bowell story. <laughs> Just touch me for one second before I explode. No, I, I very much enjoyed this. It, it has its problems. It, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it has so much heart. And and just the, the point I wanted to make was like, I don't think John Waters has ever been a man necessarily with a statement. He's never been about like, I'm going to make this equal for the sake of equality, damn it. But as, like, a self-proclaimed weirdo outsider freakazoid, I think a lot of his work just includes people and is totally inclusive and is it's very much centered around, like, listen, nothing matters except how you treat other people and if you're going to be cool doing it, so... Yeah, here's going to be this movie that explores race. Here's going to be this other movie that explores, like, women owning them themselves and owning their power. And I very much respect that about the guy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, is this cult? I'm honestly on the fence. It's quotable. It did not make the that $12 million back, like, at all. This was a financial uh, bad time (laughs) but like (laughs) i i think this is more camp than cult and i'm not even quite sure myself what the distinction is but i i feel like there is one like this i don't you know what what do you think do you think this is cult so we've when we've talked about John Waters and cult before, we've talked specifically about how he is cult by definition. Mm-hmm. You know, he's sure. under the radar. He's weird. Not a lot of people are into him, but the people who are are really into him. Camp is more like an aesthetic style and sensibility that regards something as appealing because of its bad taste and because of its value as an ironic thing. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of the Met Gala that was camp. It was a lot of things that were over the top and cheesy and camp because it was bad. I could, I could see an argument that this could be both. Because, yeah, it's 
over the top. It's ridiculous. It's the last half is a bad time from a plotting device point. Like it's still beautifully shot, still weirdly acted, still funny, still interesting. But it's not it's yeah. not great. Like it's not the same thing that you would apply to any movie that you sit down and you finish and you go, that was great. I will well say, I, I will say um, this is a movie that I would recommend to other people, even with the caveat of, hey, it's a Waters, it's weird. And this is a movie I could mm-hmm. see playing at midnight in some theater in Nebraska. Like, yeah, maybe this is the maybe this is what you watch before you watch Rocky Horror Picture Show and then you send the kids to bed after this. But if if you're if you're showing your kids this, they're probably watching Rocky Horror anyway. (laughs) Um, True. I'm going to go ahead and just lean into the waters thing. I I think it's it's so weird how this one I really had to sit here and think, Okay, wait, is this cult or is this just zany and over the top? But you brought up a good point. Waters is cold and this is waters as hell. So I think by, by whatever mathematical formula that is crybaby is cult. And I think camp and cult aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. No, not at all. Yeah. I think a lot of the same. So I just looked up examples of films that are camp and it's, Second bullet on Wikipedia is filmmaker John Waters, who directed a number of camp films such as Pink Flamingos, Cry Baby, Cecil Be Demented, and A Dirty Shame. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's both. Por que no dos? It's Chinatown, Jake. But whether it's camp or whether it's cult, it's always quotable. Andy, did you find a favorite quote? I I did. And and this one, there were a couple that I could have picked. But for some reason, the one that stuck with me is when Allison is kind of like lamenting her situation to her aunt. And her boyfriend is just in the back seat of the car, like trying to hug up on her. And she just goes, how can I think with you touching me? I think that is representative <laughs> of the movie, representative of the like feminist themes that we're trying to say this movie has. And I just, I, I loved that bit. Like, yeah, go the hell away, Daryl or whatever the hell your name was. Daryl, uh, hold on. Baldwin. Baldwin. I was close. Baldwin. Fuck Baldwin. (laughs) Daryl and Baldwin. Oh, yeah. So close. (laughs) So what about you? So my quote is, we've already really talked about it, but it's when Johnny Depp flings open his shirt and says, electricity makes me crazy. It's just so over the top and completely preposterous that I was like, oh, I kind of love this. I, I got to agree it's with John that. Waters. It, it, yeah, it's John Waters. It is probably like the best quote from this movie. Yes. Good quote. Um, You know what else is the best? Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so, um, I don't know how many movies Johnny Depp is in 
on our list. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know uh-huh. how many movies he's been in, period, but I don't know how many cult fiction movies feature Johnny Depp. All of them are, are going to have this uh this ending though. So for the second time yeah. in a row, you want to go on three? Hold on, let me find it from Alexander. Or you could just tell me what it is. Uh, Johnny Depp was in Black Mass with Kevin Bacon. There's the bitch. Yep. That's the one we both had. Which is a kick-ass movie. I haven't seen it. It's a good gangster movie. Like, solid. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> uh, Do you want to do a three, or, or are we just going to cut that together? I wasn't sure what, what you wanted to do. Uh, I don't care either way. Okay. It's up to you. I'll let you decide. Okay, well then, I guess I'm cutting that together. I can do very easily. So, you know, one of the last things we like to do is is give every movie an Oscar. Because I don't know if John Waters has ever won an Oscar. But I suspect he hasn't. I, I would put quite a lot of money on that fact. Um, and, and that's a shame because I mean, the man deserves a lifetime achievement if nothing else. So without any further ado, I, I talked about it a little bit, but I would like to give Crybaby the Oscar for best use of profanity. And this might've been the <laughs> funniest moment in the movie to me, but it's the courthouse scene. We're meeting all the parents and, and we see Wanda's parents who are just the most kind, sweet, delightful, wonderful, loving, accepting bunch. And the uh, father is played by, um, I just had it. Shit. The father is played by David and Nelson, who was actually on the Ozzy and Harriet sitcom, like, like back at when your grandparents were kids. And then Wanda's mother is played by the delightful Patricia Hearst. And there's a moment where Wanda tells her parents to get the bleep out of there. Wanda's mother turns to her dad and goes, what does bleep mean? Oh, honey, it's just something the kids say. (laughs) You know, it's one of those phrases. And then she turns to the judge and says, sir, can we take Wanda the fuck home? (laughs) And the fact that it's bleeped the first two times to like trick you into thinking that she isn't actually going to say it. Patricia Hearst gives the mm-hmm. nicest, sweetest, funniest fuck I've ever heard. <laughs> With her big old So eyes. sweet, so innocent, such great delivery. This was her first film. Like, I didn't know that until I read about it. But, like, she she didn't want to be known as the woman who got kidnapped and brainwashed so she decided to turn to acting and and this is what she did (laughs) and now she's known as the woman who says please judge can we take wanda the fuck home and i love her for it (laughs) well other things i love i would like to award john waters crybaby for the oscar for best dance song to please mr jailer because it is a jam yeah like we we hardly talked about how this was a musical but but it's a musical it's got some great dancing it's got some great singing and boy howdy that scene was near the top 
uh, Johnny Depp licking the glass in the jail because Allison was on the other side. Yeah, okay, if I had been 15 at the time and not thinking about like, oh, you're going to get the coronavirus. Stop, stop, stop. I probably would have been into that. I was that. still into it. I I was not mad at him licking that glass. <laughs> but the coronavirus. I mean... Listen, it was the 50s. We didn't know what it was back then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that actually leads me to one other thing I want to say before we skip um, to picking our next movie. I do have a reading rec. It is not a book. Um, There is an article in Ms. Magazine called What Wasn't So Great About the 1950s Sex. Ah! And for a movie that's so much about women owning their own sexuality, I had to put that in there. So it's a great read. If you have time, we'll link it in the show notes. It's pretty Excellent. fantastic. No, I, I love it. I love hearing about all the things that were wrong with the 50s. <laughs> well, yeah, racism, racism as well. Racism <laughs> especially, but also sex. Racism. Um, it's funny it's funny i I have it open in front of me we have one two three four five six movies that were made in the 50s with all the problems that that entails and so here on cult fiction we always let the hollywood crypt decide our next movie through a random number generator so there is at least a small chance that that we go into this problematic decade (laughs) I'm excited. Let's hope we're going into the 50s and not into the 90s where we get Anaconda. Oh, you know you say that, but um, okay. So out of 308 movies, uh, we are on 124. Uh It's not the 50s. It's not the 90s. It's a movie that you uh, have wanted to show me for a long time. Next on Cult Fiction, we will be watching the 1987 Keith or Sutherland starring vampire classic, The Lost Boys. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. I am very happy. Thank you. Hey, you're very welcome. It it was the crypt. <laughs> so you truly have never seen Lost Boys. I have never seen Lost Boys. This is surprising. Okay, so for people following along at home, you can stream Lost Boys um, on... Uh, Amazon, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Vudu, all places it is for rent, unfortunately. So this is going to be another one that you have to pay $3.99 for, but it's the time of the quar. What else are you doing, really? You're not going out. You're not going to bars. You are just staying home and watching movies. It's, it's worth us. your time. And this is this is literally the opposite end of the episode to be saying this, but like Crybaby was worth four bucks, without a doubt. True. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
And so, so too will be the Lost Boys, if for no other reason than looking at Kiefer Sutherland in the 80s at the height of his beauty. I'm here for it. Did I just see something <laughs> about this is set in Santa Clara? What? Yep. I was born in Santa Clara. Oh my God, were you? What a cute yeah. little preppy boy. I know, right? <laughs> all right. Um, that's adorable. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when we mix up Peter Pan and vampires as I, for the first time, watch The Lost Boys. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell.